until 2015, Des Roach was the one taking pelters from bosses as a referee. But will he be able to keep his emotions in check? Now he's the one who stepped into the dugout. At the start of May, Des was appointed assistant at Kilburnie Laidside. In the mid-1990s, he was British under-20s champion over 1,500 metres and ranked ninth in the world. He'd even trained with Paula Radcliffe, but a knee injury ended his dreams of making it on the track. Refereeing quickly got him up and running, though, and in 2010 he took charge of the Scottish Junior Cup final before going on to have five successful years as a Category 1 whistler. We'll hear what he was like as an official coming through the ranks in the lower leagues and how it prepared him for life higher up. Five years on from hanging up his whistle, he took a call from former Renfrew manager Martin Ferry asking if he'd fancy a different role in football. Lockdown has meant they've not yet taken a training session at Bayfield, but we'll find out just how Des has been adapting to making football calls of a different kind. Des was once the one dishing out the cards, but tonight we've got him booked as we go down the divisions. Well, first of all, Paul, we've got a former ref on the show tonight. I'm just hoping we're going to get to full time without you getting sent off. Judging by uh, by last season, do you think you're going to manage it? I think I'll be I think I'll be okay. Uh, but I'm actually really excited about tonight's guest because well, I've never met Des before, so all the guests we've had on before I kind of know, and I've been doing my research this week, and uh, what a story! It's a story that I think everybody should hear. I'm really excited to hear it myself. Right. Say no more. Don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. Um, <laughs> we'll come to that in a minute. Uh, it's good to have you all listening. Uh, we're here every Wednesday with a new episode. If you've got any comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at downthedivisions at gmail.com. That's downthedivisions at gmail.com. Or you can contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Hi, it's Murdo McKinnon, Port Manager here, and you're listening to Down the Divisions. Kaburni Laidside Assistant Manager Des Roach is our guest this week. And on top of the big build-up, Des, uh, we hear you're an avid listener to the show as well. I do, yeah, yeah, I do. I'm, uh, I'm probably quite sad. I just, I just love listening to football and listening to football stories um, and the journeys that folk have been on. So, uh, yeah, radio and stuff like that doesn't, doesn't do it for me. So, yeah, no, avid listener. Well, it's good to have you uh, on the show rather than, uh, rather than listening this week. Um, before we chat some more. We've got the, the Down the Divisions decider where one of us gives four clues for a particular year. Give us his lucky guess last week, levelled things up at two apiece, and now it's his turn to come up with the clues. So over to you, Paul. It wasn't a lucky guess, Gareth. I knew that. <laughs> Arsenal Invincibles, I knew that. Sorry, I'm Paul. Actually... It, it wasn't a lucky guess. Obviously, Murdo told you the answer. That's what it was. <laughs> so obviously, we've got... Uh, ex-referee who's done the Scottish Junior Cup final, so we've avoided those questions this week. <laughs> so we're going to start off with Charles Kennedy resigned as leader of the Liberal Democrats after admitting he had a drink problem. Steve McLaren agreed to become England manager, leaving his post at Middlesbrough. The British Grand Prix was won by reigning world champion Fernando Alonso. And this is the giveaway. And Chelsea win their second Premier League title. I'll let you go first, Des. Just don't, be, don't be pressured. Des, don't be pressured. If you, if you want Gareth to go first, then... Uh, uh, 
Yeah, I think the journalist should go first. I'm just going by last week when Paul uh, kindly invited the guest to go first and I was just thought I should kind of show those kind of same sort of manners. 2012? Gareth? I think it's before then. 2008. Mm, that'll be revealed at the end. Caboni Lateside Assistant Manager, Des Roach, is our guest tonight. As I said at the start of the show, Des, uh, you're appointed at the start of May. How did it all kind of come about? Because obviously we, we all know you as a, as we've said already, as a, as a, as a former referee. <clears throat> it was really just a call from, from Martin uh, asking if it would be something that would be interesting. I'd been scouting and doing some work with St Martin and I was coaching at uh, Glen for Thistle, helping my, my oldest son's team. Um, but also my coaching background and my and my job, so to speak. Um, I thought it would be I thought it'd be a job that I would I would kick myself if I said no. Yeah. I really would. I really would. And I think also with the refereeing background, folk will probably stigmatise you with that and go, Oh, you're a referee, what do you know? But do you know what? I'm not, I'm a I'm a coach, I'm a I'm a football person. That's I only I only took up refereeing because of rubbish at playing. <laughs> And and that's my that's my background. What was your relationship with the uh, was it Martin that uh, for him to pick the phone up to you? Did you have you worked with him before, or was it just somebody you knew through the game? Well, I've known Martin for a, I've known Martin for a number of years, um, and <laughs> it's probably going to be a wee bit of nepotism, but uh, he's he's actually related to me through through family. Um, but that Martin wouldn't appoint me without him having the, the full say on it. Um, so he obviously understands what I can what I can bring to it uh, with, my, with my background and my degree in sports science and physical activity and stuff like that. So yeah, that was the that was the that was the connection there um, at Renfrew Juniors as well. We helped out when I retired from refereeing. I got involved at Renfrew Juniors just through some local team. That's where I grew up, and we tried to help them get set up properly as well, moving to the new ground, etc. But not hands on on the on the grass side of things. No, that was that with Martin. It's a, I think it's a it's a mutual respect. He knows what I can bring to him. I can offer uh, also to the players as well. So it's a it's a win win situation as far as we're, we're both concerned. And did you know much about Kyle Burnley before he before he went down there as a club? Yeah, knew knew lots about it. Knew lots about it. Definitely there numerous times. Got. Lots of lots of pelters for the sheds. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, Coburnie, they're a they're a huge team, huge team in, in that division. Get, certainly get lots of untapped potential down there. Um, I just think that uh, given the current situation, it's probably a good chance to rebuild. You mentioned you were scouting uh, for St Mirren and Rangers before that. I mean, how, how how would all that come about as well? Because clearly, while this is your kind of, if you like, your first major appointment in the coaching side of things you had made that if you want to call it a transition to the to the side of of, of football from refereeing already and so you, I guess you'd done your coaching badges on top of your your degree and everything yeah yeah no I, I actually started my my coaching badges probably goodness it was about about 20 21 uh, while I was still running in fact Mm-hmm. As much as I was a runner, um, football's always been my first passion. There's never been any any doubt about that. Um, so I went on my coaching journey very early and 
try to get as qualified as I could. Uh, the whole St Mirren thing came around Al McManus, who's the um, director of uh, the Youth Academy at St Mirren. Al and I went to school together. Um, he asked me a couple of questions when I was coming out of, coming out of football. Um, and he's like, how do you how do you fancy coming involved in, in this side of it? He said, I trust your opinion. I trust what you, what you can do. I know what you've got. So it was one of the ones I just thought, yeah, something different something different and then I went across to Rangers for just over a year or so um, and then, then went back to someone so yeah it's one of the ones where you've got a you've got a passion for the game you know a, well you'd like to think you know a good player when you see one yeah. um, and just try to help them as much as I could there What have your experiences been like in the dugout so far I know you haven't obviously done anything at Coburnie yet but whether it's your son's team or you know what it's like to be that man in the middle, don't you? And and and, and how do you think how do you think you're going to be able to cope with the decision that goes against against you if you like when the season whenever it starts? I will be stum. I will say nothing. <laughs> I will say nothing. Right, you've you've heard it here first. We'll we'll go back uh, six months into the the season, Paul, and see if uh, see if that's still the same. Eh? I was just about to say that. Wait till somebody. Gives a decision in the last minute. Very controversial. And as a penalty against Kilburnie, you'll be chasing them up the touchline. <laughs> <laughs> he, he better be quick at running, that's for sure. <laughs> I mean, what, tell us about your experiences with referees, Paul. I mean, over over the years. I mean, you've mentioned it on and off over the over the the fourteen. This is the fourteenth episode we've had. I think. This is a personal opinion. Now, I've done it. I've stood in the middle of the park with a whistle. And it is the hardest job in the world. It really is. And it's horrible. And it's it's no nice, no pleasant experience. But I don't know. And it's, it's difficult with Des being on. He's a referee. I think it's standard. Ex-referee. Ex, ex. Ex-referee. I think the standard of refereeing is getting worse. Now, I'm in Division 2 of what was junior football last year, and obviously the guys that do really well go up. I don't know where the Russian boys through. By the way, see, on the, on the back of that, Des, I will say guys like Big Sean Murdoch has come through. I think I mentioned him last yeah. uh, Who is outstanding. He was, he was brilliant, in fact. And again, I think I said it last week, he made a mistake in a friendly game we had in come up to us after the game and says, I got that wrong. At the time, it's a friendly, it doesn't mean nothing. But, you know, he turns around and says, ah, do you know what, I got that wrong, boys. And I think there's some really, really good referees coming up and through. But I don't know. There's one or two that I just look and just think, we're getting nothing today. And that, and, and that's the way it is. I mean, I don't know, I don't know whether when you went to Category 1 days, did you have to go out and assess referees or going maybe mentor guys in your association and things like that is that something that, that you had to do and, and would you look at the performance of referees and think you're maybe just not up to it yet I think we did, it was it was never formally done that way uh, I think I think we did I mean I know I did I would go and watch some young guys coming through um, David Dickinson who's coming through right now who's doing really really well um, he's 
his father was my best friend. And sort of so we would go and we'd do it informally. But within each association, they've got a, a, a coaching group, a minor grade assessment panel, it's called, and they'll go and they'll, they'll try and coach and they'll encourage and they'll, they'll, they'll try and develop these young guys. Um, but Paul, I, I, I can't disagree with you. I think there's a lot of... A lot of guys getting pushed too quickly who maybe just need to put the brakes on it and just go, do you know what, learn learn your levels, um, which which is fine because we've, we've all got to be there. We've all got to do it. It's just like a player. A football player and a referee are no different. They've got to come through the same stages of development and be exposed to situations that, that test them and see if they come through those tests. That's the guys who will get to the top, just like a player as well. That's the guys that will go, well, do you know what, we can trust him and I'm sure you as a manager that's the way you view your players as well absolutely I just do you see do do you think that there's a lack in numbers do you think there's a lack of referees in the country and and that's maybe why they're they're forced to push them on a little bit or is there plenty of guys coming through I think recruitment is um, is quite low at this moment in time and I know the fact that they've got an SQA qualification through schools which I've been involved in previously in my older school um, we tried to put it there and say to kids look this is a this is an alternative employment you can go and earn money we'll go and work in pre-mark Tesco blah 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 whatever for, for X amount of minimum wage you can go and work for 90 minutes and earn I don't know 40 pounds 50 pounds or whatever um, so I, I do think numbers is a is an issue um, it's it's not a glamorous. It's not a glamorous role to have within football. Um, and let's be honest, whatever decision you make, fifty percent are going to disagree with you. So how does that encourage then folk to go? Well, I'm going to get grief. Yeah, I know you're saying it's not a, a glamorous role, but it's certainly uh, an opportunity for somebody who, you know, quite friendly over the years with George Drummond, who went on to run the line in the SPL. You know, European matches would be running the line. Uh, got, to, you know, I think he might have even been in the Champions League and he things was, like that. Did. Yeah. So, do you know what I mean? So, you, it is an opportunity for guys, isn't it, who maybe don't have the ability for football to go and to go and uh, do something in the game. Listen, that's the fini- Let's be honest. The financial reward within it is is very appealing. It's very appealing when you get to SPL level and you go to European level. So that's. That's probably the carrot that you can you can dangle and go, well, do you know what? You'll not play against Barcelona, but you can referee Barcelona or AC Milan or these folks, and they earn really, really considerable amounts of money. Um, so I think that's what, what refereeing has to be looked at as a as a second job to, to folk and go, well, do you know what? If, it, if you fall out, I mean, you talk about kids coming out of professional clubs at 20, 21. They're really, really fit. They know the game. See if you apply the laws of the, the laws of the game to their knowledge. These guys can go and have an absolutely fantastic career, and that's what Sean Murdoch's shown that he's taking the gamble for it. Right, Des, we're obviously talking about down the divisions football, and and you mentioned there that as a referee you have to go out and start lower down and get tested. Give us an insight into what it's like as a referee turning up on your own, no assistance. I mean, give us some, give us a flavour of some of your experiences down the divisions in in that regard, and and just some of the situations you can find you can find yourself in, which maybe don't sound, as you say, too glamorous at the time, but they become the making of you for when you then go up the levels. 
I remember my first game. <laughs> I remember my first game. I turned up dressed. I turned up. I had my referee kit on. I had my tracksuit on. Uh, it was in the West of Scotland Amateur League. And who, who, who was the game? It was uh, Glasgow Caledonian University against... It was a, it was a team out in way. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I literally, I did, I had my, my referee kit on, I had a tracksuit on top of it, I didn't get changed, I warmed up for about three minutes, done the game, straight after it, I didn't even get paid, I just I just jumped in the car and came back up the road, I was that scared. How many times during, during that time did you just look at your watch and think, hurry up, there's no extra time getting played here, I need out of here. Oh, listen, Paul, for about minute three. <laughs> just minute, look at that watch. About minute three, I'm looking at it and going, just, just. Do you know what? I actually, I actually remember a uh, boy was going to left wing, and I went, that looks like a foul. And I'm just like, oh no, I need to blow a whistle. Like, that is a foul. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no, it's my, it's my job. I was just I was watching it as a I was watching it as a punter at that point. And how many and, and looking back there, how many like big mistakes would you say, oh you jump in that car and think, Oh, I got that bad today, that was the wrong one. That was oh Never. that was a howler. Never. Never. <laughs> <laughs> Never. No, hundreds, of course you do. Listen, I've walked in, I've walked in the house on a, a Saturday night and I've just opened the cupboard, bag, in at the back of the cupboard, go into the fridge, get a beer, don't talk to me, give me an hour and just leave me alone. Um, it happens every week, it happens all the time. Um, but I'd like to think that I'm, I'm big enough. As you said there, when um, Sean Murdoch said, I get that wrong, I've done that. I've, I've actually spoke to managers a couple of weeks later and you're going to, you're going to turn up against them. Yeah. You can't lie. So... Do players get every pass right? Of course they don't. Does managers get every decision right? Of course they don't. Does a referee get every decision right? Nah, no chance. But you can only be honest. And have you ever refereed out at New Mains? Uh, I did. It's yes. a lovely dressing room supply for you there, isn't oh. it? So that, that, wee, that wee room in the corner. Is it? Is it still the one that's got the hedge along the along the side of the park? Ah, it's kind of, yeah, there's a banking with, with trees aye. at the top of it, aye. Aye, aye. I remember, be, I remember doing a Scottish Cup tie for Newman's Day against Dundee Violet years ago. Right. And Dundee Violet nearly never played the game. Is that right? Because they said that the crossbar wasn't regulation height. I said, well, how, how are you on about that? Because <laughs> my goalkeeper can touch it. I went, all right, fine, fair enough. I said, well, if you, if you don't want to play the game, then don't play the game. Well, we've done we've done the clubhouse up now, so we've uh, the referees' room got a lick of paint this week. So not that, that you need to worry about that now, but uh, the referees can look forward to that. And the light bulb has been changed. So 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 you had that first game in the amateurs. Um, everybody talks about how the juniors is the real making of a, of a referee. You went home that night, just wanting to get get out of there, but yet you came back for more and. And, and why did you come back for more and tell us about the juniors, you know, a, a little bit more about the juniors and, and some of the things there going down to Asha, going all around? I would, I would go back to the juniors in a heartbeat. Yeah. I loved the juniors. I absolutely loved it. Um, when I when I retired in 2015, if there was an avenue for me to go back down, I would have done it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Without a shadow of a doubt. 
And is there no avenue down, Des? Can you not go? Can you not say, listen, this is not for me? Can I go back down? No, no. See, wow. to be honest, though, if I went back down, then I'm stifling somebody else coming up. Because ah, right, okay. They would then, they would then say, well, look, Des has done the Junior Cup final. I've done your Hawking Light Cumnocks and Pollock Athletes and stuff like that. So it's 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 regressing somebody else. Yeah. As much as, much as I'm sure... Well, they might not, but as much as I'm sure the juniors would then say, no, we would we would welcome Des back or Greg Aitken, John Beaton, blah, 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 because they're a, an asset to the game. But you're stopping somebody else progressing. Yeah. I also think as well, like, everyone's got this impression of the junior football. Junior football has been a big shift in junior football in terms of the way the game's played and that, at that level as well. And I think... For a referee, like the certain referees I know when they turn up, maybe you've got a wee bit of rapport with them, you kind of know them, you've maybe met them out when you're shopping on a Sunday, you have a little chat with them, how was the game yesterday and stuff like that. But then there's other referees that, that, that maybe just don't have that, I say personality, to, to, to have that with, with the man. And I think top referees will succeed quite easily at the junior level because if they've got that rapport with the managers and they can talk to people, then it's, then it's half the battle. Yeah, I used to, I got I got in trouble. I, I remember it. I, I done Paul Atherley, uh, two thousand and probably two thousand ten. Probably you'd have done the cup final, and um, Hugh Dallas was watching the game, and uh, he gave me he came in, he spoke to me after the game, and then he phoned me in the car, um, and he gave me into trouble. And I was like, he's like, I said, you're too you're too familiar with players. You're calling you're calling players by their name. And I was like, well, I'm not going to call him number three, or I'm not going to call him number four, or call him Jimmy. I said, wait a minute. I said, if you, a referee Paul and Atherley every third week or whatever happens, so I'm going to call somebody, uh, Brian, Stephen, whatever, whatever you want. I go, that's building a relationship. I said, because do you know what? I could probably talk to that person and avoid a situation that, that's there coming up. He's like, no, no, you're too familiar. You're too familiar. And then, hence, a minute of years later, he's like, no, it's all about relationship building. And I'm like, well, you actually chinned me for that. And I think obviously because my job as a school teacher, as a PE teacher, it's about building relationships and it's getting to work, getting to work with people. So, no, I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't a fan of that to be honest. And I think that I was unfairly criticised for that. Well, Hugh doesn't listen to the show, Des. So, what was he like? Is he a good guy? He's actually, yeah. I was, I was the last. Uh, Listen, that that's just a that's just a, a minutiae, a, a, a wee tiny wee bit. Hugh was great for me. Hugh, I was the last referee promoted to to category one. He was really really supportive. Um, after that um, athlete Pollock game, he came to watch me on a Wednesday night, and it was East School Bride and Ashfield, I think it was. It was a, 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 a an obscure game, and he phoned me the next day. And he said to me, oh, you've taken on my advice, well done. I was like, all right, okay, that's great. I said, oh, I can hear buzzing, where are you? He's like, oh, I'm at Barcelona, Inter Milan. It was like Champions League semi-final or something like that. I was like, really? Just me and I was like, you're talking to me? And you're at back, you went, it's the same game that used to right play last night. <laughs> and you're like, oh, wow, <laughs> this guy just walks in a different world for me. <laughs> but, uh, but no, he was good. Hugh's nice. Oh, he's he's fine. And Andrew's boy's great as well. There's no there's no issues there at all. There's no nepotism there, no. No, no, none. <laughs>
<laughs> he walked his way through the ranks. Well done. I just want to bring you back to these stories, Des, about the juniors. You, you must have got some. I mean, you, you hear of. I mean, we used to have Kenny Clark as a columnist on the paper, and you know, he talk about like tires let down, or you know, you park your car, and you know, they always knew where the referee would park, and and if decisions weren't going their way. Have you have you had any experiences like this? The best one I ever had uh, was, I was at Cowinan, I, I can't even remember who they played, uh, Cowinan Rangers, and <clears throat> coming after the game, Cowinan could beat them at home, so it was the old, um, they had a, it was like uh, porter cabins, was there sort of like changing rooms and stuff like that, so went in, and um, they get beat, and the guy came in with his, uh, with his envelope, he's like, right, there you go, he's like, so they, you're invited in for a cup of tea and a a pie after the game, just come in at this, <laughs> come in at the committee room, and for whatever reason, I said, I goes, look, thank you very much, really appreciate it, I said, but I need to go back up the road, I need to go up the road quickly, and Tony says, best decision you've ever made, son. <laughs> <laughs> I said, if that's the worst you've had, then it's not been, you, you didn't have too bad a time of it in the juniors then? No, no, um, I think it was anything else, it was, well, I think we <laughs> Because obviously my physique, I'm not the, the biggest guy in the world. Uh, I think it was a guy who come looks out and goes, Roach, you're a waste of air. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I was, I was going, up the, going up the stairs. And, and, the, and those kind of experiences, I know I touched earlier, they must kind of set you in good stead for when you then go up the ranks. And again, I know I've talked to referees about it. They say, in a sense, managing in the juniors can be tougher than managing up, up up the levels because up the levels you've got stewards you've got police you've got assistants yeah you're not yes. there on your own would, would that be fair comment yeah no definitely um see like your big teams like your Ocalex and Pollocks and so that they could easily hold themselves at, at a higher level uh, and when you go up there as you say everything's laid on for you you turn up at the ground there's somebody walking into your changing room there's somebody walking out your changing room there's somebody taking you off the park at half time at full time yeah i didn't find i didn't find i found the hardest transition was refereeing juniors to go to reserve football mm-hmm. i found that i found that the most difficult um that was a lot more frantic because you've got guys there who are just desperate to get into the first team or you've got guys who commit the first team who are trying to get fit again to come back in the first team. That that to me was the biggest the biggest difficulty. Um but going from first team and juniors to first team lower divisions, no, that wasn't a that wasn't an issue. We'll, we'll come on to your athletics career uh, a bit later in the show, but what kind of turned you to refereeing itself back in was it two thousand and four you started? What, what why why refereeing? <clears throat> well I was playing amateur football at the time and <laughs> I got a, you'll not be able to see here, I got a, a hand injury. One of my friends was playing amateur and he kicked me in the thumb and I broke a bone in my, in my thumb. And I thought it was just a, just a cut. So I jumped to the hospital thinking I'm just going to get a stitch. And then I was in hospital for four days and they, I'd actually snapped a tendon in my thumb and it went right up my arm. So they had to bring it, they had to bring it back down. They stapled it back together and I was off work for six weeks, eight weeks. And my uncle, at the time, a good family friend, was a referee. And I just thought, what am I going to do for eight weeks on board? So I phoned him and he's like, why don't you do why don't you do the refereeing course? And without even a, without even 
issue of thinking of doing it. Um, and that was my that was my introduction. I passed the test. Uh, I got a letter through, <laughs> through the door saying you've passed it. I'd completely forgotten about it. And I then just went and went and joined the association. Went and done a went and done a game and thought actually I quite like this. So that was my that was my introduction to it. Well, I've been off for 15 weeks through this uh, COVID. And I have to say, some days I've been really bored, days, but I've never once thought I'm going to enrol as a referee. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. It, 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 it must be that sort of, I don't know, just something in you that's just daft. Um, I tried it um, and say I was fortunate enough to do not too bad at it. 2010, as I said, you, you refereed that, that Junior Cup, Cup final six years after starting. And you had the five years of Category 1. I mean, it, it does show that, you know, within six years you were doing that final. And then you were, well, I mean, what, what would what would you sort of look back on and say was your highlight as a referee then, you know, af- after that? You know, you obviously refereed and, and, and took part in some, some top-level games, didn't you? I did, yeah. Yeah, I was fortunate enough to, to be involved in games that I would never be never be involved at with more ability. Um, what would I say was... The best will probably come out of this later on, but refereeing the John Kennedy testimonial game at Celtic Park against Manchester United was really emotional. Um, got a phone call to do that. Um, being on the park by, by world superstars. Um, I was also involved in the Stylian Petrov one. Again, very, very emotional. Um, I remember standing standing after the game and the refereeing team, we were all... Just, I mean, we, we donated our fee. We never took any fees for these games. We gave it back into the charities that these guys were doing. Um, I was involved in the Dundee United Barcelona game um, with Terry O'Neill making his debut. So, listen, for a wee guy for Enfrew, I would never be involved in, in things like that in my life. So, I'm so, so, so grateful to be, to, to have those memories. See, I, I, I was never blessed enough to be too good. I was a decent football player. I was probably better because of my fitness. And last 20 minutes, folk are dying and I'm still running. I can <laughs> score goals. Um, but to be involved in things like that uh, were, were just tremendous. Bringing it, back, bringing it back to that Junior Cup final, was that Lenithka Rose Largs? Yes. Yeah, and t- tell us how that went. I mean, I guess at that point, that would have been your biggest game of your career at that, at that point. Yeah, at that point, yeah, that that was it was the longest day and the quickest day of my life, to be honest. It was absolutely roasting hot. Now I remember the night before I had prepared really well, everything was all set out, I was hydrated. Went down there before the game. It was <clears throat> myself as referee, Stephen Allen, Don Robertson, who's obviously a comfy for referee, and Ross Haswell as fourth official. Um the heat was incredible. Absolutely incredible, um, and the game just went by like that. And there was one massive incident, one massive incident. Um, what was the boy's name? Can you remember the boy's name? But he came on as a sub, and he had a horrific challenge. And it was one of the ones I just looked around. And I get that gut feeling in my stomach. I just went, that was horrific, and I gave my red, I gave him a red card, which is a which is a huge call. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in a junior cup final, um, these guys have, these guys want all their career to be there, and you go, you need to send somebody home early. Um, and I gave it, and he gave me an absolute torrent of abuse. And then we done the we done the presentation with medals after it, and again he came up and gave me an absolute 
volley of abuse. As we walked off the pitch, the Mythgo wasn't it Dave Baker? He was the manager, Dave Baker was the manager. But one of his staff came over and just he pulled my arm and says, By the way, he said, I've just been told you got it right, don't worry. And it was that way he went, a wee bit of relief from that. And then when I watched it later on, I thought, that's my that's my big stage, that's my that's my leaving. That's my leaving party for the SFA. And if I get that wrong, I'm going to be absolutely crucified. So it was a it was a it was a huge game for me. But I just remember going up the road and we'd organised to have dinner with my with my family and stuff. Do you know what? I was sleeping for about ten past eight. <laughs> I was done. I was absolutely <laughs> done in. Uh, but that that's my overriding memory of that game. Just and that. how long how long had he been on the pitch before before he made that challenge? Paul, he's probably only been on the pitch for about six minutes. Is that right? Yeah. Apparently, and I don't know, Sandy McLean was a manager at Largs, and I know Sandy well. Uh, apparently, the boy from Largs has never played again. Oh, well, that you've got it right then, haven't you? Yeah, but it was just that one, it, was, it came for a throw-in. So, I'm almost standing sort of side-on, because I need to look at the, the bigger picture for the whole pitch, but it was just something just clicked. And I looked at Don Robertson, and Don was nodding at me and going, aye done and I thought I'm, I'm doing this um, and it's not a thing that a referee ever wants to do you don't want to send somebody off you, you start with 22 you want to finish with 22 but it was just that pit in my stomach I thought this is the biggest game of my life it's live on TV what am I, what am I doing is that because the paperwork's murder after you send somebody off? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I'm just getting Don to do it. Saying off, saying off in the, saying off in the advice of the assistant. <laughs> I mean, after having sent him off, how how difficult is it to keep your focus on the game? I guess is is it a bit like when not that you ended up making a mistake, but you know you see a goalkeeper make a mistake and then it preys on their minds to the point they then make another mistake. Are you? Are you are you or were you able to decompartmentalize on the day, or was that something that came after an experience like that that you kind of you learned to to deal with things like that? Again, I'll go back to Hugh Dallas. Hugh Dallas always used to say, "The most important decision you make is the next one." So whether you get it right or get it wrong, you've got to get the next one. And I think I'm quite a quite a strong enough will character that. I could put it away. Don't get me wrong, I would beat myself up on the way home in a car. But for that 90 minutes, no, I never I never thought about what had previously happened. Um and I'd like to think that that through my through my entire career I never ever thought, oh wait a minute, he's he's done something wrong before, so I need to even this up. You can't do that. And and you started out like talking about how your first game, you know, you were you were just glad to get through it. What kind of gave you that that desire to keep coming back and feeling like that, putting you through, putting you through emotions? Like, did I send the guy off at the right time? Do you get do you get the bug of refereeing? Is it the love of football? What kind of keeps you turning up and and uh, putting yourself through those emotions and those experiences? For me, it's probably it's probably more just love of football. That's that's probably it. As much as as much as I've said I said right at the outset, as much as I'm a, a referee, I'm a football fan, I'm a yeah. football coach, I'm a I'm a football person. Um and that was just a vehicle that I could use to be involved at a level that I would never be involved in before. 
So that's that's probably it. Um, every Friday night, kit's packed, everything's there because mm. I want to go out and I want to do it. You turn up, you meet tremendous people. I mean, you go to you go to Elgin, you go to Peterhead, you go to Brecon, and you end up creating relationships with these people, and they know you, and obviously throughout the number of years that you're there, they recognise you. My family have came to games as well, so. Yeah, that's that's it. It's just a love of the game, and I think if you build relationships with people as well, and they get to know you, it's probably more accepting as well. They go, do you know what? Des probably that wrong, but it's a bit easier to take. And don't get me wrong, I got I got a lot of things wrong through my through my career. Um, but again, it's just it's just that way. You need to you need to be honest and give an honest opinion and an honest performance. You've just said there, Des, that obviously you go to these places and whilst to some people going to Peterhead's, you know, not the most glamorous place in the world, but to be involved at that level and to and to be on the pitch with some of these people, do you not do you not miss it? I do, I do. I miss I miss the ninety minutes. I miss, oh sorry, I miss the three hours. I miss the turn up an hour and a half before the game and I miss the, the crack with the with the guys and being on the pitch I would say to a player see if I, I was cautioning a player I mean <laughs> who was the boy he was the captain of Stirling Albion and honestly it was it was a nothing challenge right a nothing challenge it was Stirling Albion against was it Breaking I can't remember but the crowd I mean as big a crowd you're going to get Stirling Albion the crowd shouted I think it was a I think it was a yellow card so I pulled, it was, I pulled him in and I went what are you having for dinner tonight <laughs> uh, what, I mean, the crowd are expecting you to be shouting you can't tackle that I'm having a Chinese but you <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's like that. what and then five minutes later I mean right, I'm really angry at you now bugger off I'm not, I'm not booking you but I'm having a Chinese what are you having about ten minutes later he ran by and he patted me and bum and he went brilliant no bother well done because it's that way you go you've got to have that that relationship with players and Crowds will shout, they'll, they'll go mental, but you go, that's actually nothing there. Did they expect me to shout at you and have a have a have a go at you? So things like that you need to you need to go and that's my experiences that, that I miss. I miss the ninety minutes, miss turn up, meet the manager before the game, do the game, go home, see all the politics and stuff at the side of it. Nah, I'm not interested in that. So that's I think that's also why I'm going to get involved in Coburnie and just try and get back to enjoying 90 minutes of football on a Saturday. So, so I mean, what, why did you give it up? I mean, in theory, I mean, it's not, a, it's not an age thing, is it? You could still be doing it now. I could be, yeah. Probably could have been. But I'd have been the, the longest serving down the divisions referee in the world because... <laughs> or, <laughs> any level, or any level. I mean, you could still be up in the in the top flight, couldn't you, in theory? In theory, yeah. Um, just a couple of personal differences between myself and a couple of folk who were involved at the SFA at the time. Um, we'd never seen eye to eye, so I just thought if I can't if I can't progress the way that my ability, listen, I'm the first to hold my hands up. See if I get put up and I failed, like anything. Like, yep, yeah, you're absolutely right. No problem. Uh, that's 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 a step too far for me. But um, I was never going to be given that opportunity by certain people within the SFA. So I took the decision. My wife, just my youngest son, at the time he was only five weeks old. She um, she couldn't drive. I asked for a wee bit of, not, not leniency, I just said, look, can you keep me sort of semi-local for a couple of weeks? She was 
um, <clears throat> unable to move around, and I was getting I was getting shafted. So I just thought, nah, <laughs> I, I'd rather do it more. I'd rather win or fail on my own ability, mm-hmm. not by somebody else's opinion. And that, I think that's why, obviously, my running background, that's where that came from as well. If somebody's better than me, yeah, no problem. But don't be better than me because you've got somebody else that's talking higher for you. That's the one thing about referees, though, isn't it? I suppose it is with football players as well. I mean, you could be the, the best player in the world, and if, if someone at 19 doesn't like you, it's his opinions. But I always think you've got a chance to come back. You can step down and come back. For a referee, though, your career really could be over, couldn't it, with the... Somebody just saying, no, let's mark him down, because it's all done on, uh, they come out in a session, mark you down and mark you up, don't they? Well, I've never, in my whole career, never failed an inspection. Never. I get pulled up one time. It was uh, Albion Rovers against Livingston, right? This is how stupid it was, right? And, that, and this is when I knew my, my card was marked. Albion Rovers also were in yellow and red. Livingston wore a purple away kit. And it was raining. So the purple away kit turns turns darker. At that point in time, we only had red, yellow and blue to wear. So I wore blue. And he told me that um, your kit was too close. I said, well, I can't wear yellow because I've been in yellow. I can't wear red because I've been in red. He said, so the only option I've got is to wear blue. He went, nah, you're too clo- your, your, your colours were too close to the team when, they were, when it was raining. That's how, that's how petty it was. And does that then get marked on a sheet? Does that does that does that yeah. points against you? Is that? Yeah, no, I got a full report. I got a full report. But see the report. The report was a was a plus. I got a I got a positive on it. But right. The comment was, nah, your strip. I mean, if you're pulling me up for a strip, I said, did I get decisions right? Yes. The game went to penalty kicks. Did I get everything else right? Yellow cards, etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're pulling me up because it's raining and our team's wearing a purple kit. So can you see can you see the level that I was getting to? Yeah. I mean, you know what? See you later. And that was it. Never went back. Never went back. Last my last ever game was New Year's Day. It was a uh, Hamilton versus Motherwell, and I sat in the um, the Bodwell Bridge Hotel having breakfast with the guys, and I knew they were there. I went, I'm not coming back. I've just spent the night before. My son's only four or five weeks old. My wife's unwell. I've had to get up in the morning, fresh on the night before, celebrating the bells, drove to Bodwell Bridge. I went, why am I doing this when I know that I'm not going to get anywhere? Mm-hmm. Just went, nah, do you know what? I'll have enough. Did that, um, did, did that hurt? And secondly, what was it like after you gave it up? Because having made it your kind of life for so long, there must have been a void. For a few for a few weeks afterwards, where you'd wake up on a Saturday or you you know you go to bed on a Friday, you're so used as you say to you know laying out the referee's kit and getting yourself you, you'd have that routine and suddenly for it not to be there, there must have been something missing for a while. It was it was for you, but thankfully, obviously Finn, my son was born, so I was I was busy with that. Um, I'd probably say for the first couple of months I was okay, and it was. Probably the start of the next season, probably around the sort of July, August time when pre-season started and, and games came, that's probably when I, I started to miss it and when I should be doing I should be doing something else. Um, but no, nah, I, I, I don't want to sound 
don't mean to sound bitter. I just knew that it wasn't for me anymore. And I, I, I got other things to occupy myself. Uh, my son started playing football, and so I was going to watch him. I was doing other things. But um, yeah, it's a huge void. You, you, you put so much into it to get there. Um, and as I said, I'd rather fail on my own ability rather than somebody else's opinion. We've, we've talked about your refereeing, and I know we started off by talking about Kilburnie. I mean, wh- what's it been like? What's it been like since since you and Martin were appointed, and and how have you gone about? I mean, put Paul, Paul, we, we we talk about it down in New Mains, don't we? That getting players signed up, you know, getting them to commit when nobody knows what's what's happening, when when it's happening. How how have you found it at Kilburnie in terms of building that squad and and putting your mark on that squad when nobody knows when that squad will be playing? Well, Paul will know himself. It's it's very difficult at this minute in time trying to sell a trying to sell an idea. You're not selling a you're, sell, you're, you're selling a dream at this moment in time. Uh, we inherited a squad of five, two of which were goalkeepers, and two of which who explained to us that they, they, they want to move on. Um, so yeah, it's difficult. We've I think at this moment in time we'll get 13, 14 signed for next season. We just get two this evening. Um, I wasn't able to be there, but Martin was there. Um, we've got a WhatsApp group, as I'm sure all the clubs have. We're, we're sending them training sessions. Um, Stevie Aitchison has joined us as well um, from Pollock, who's a fantastic addition. Um, we're sending them sessions. The boys are buying into it. The, the chat we're getting back is great, absolutely great, because... These are boys who don't know each other either. So the first time they come into a training session and we can get them all back together, I feel like this wee bit of team momentum, a wee bit of team morale, then we're hoping that'll, we're hoping that'll be there. But yeah, difficult. We've got to rely upon um, information from, from other clubs. We've got to rely on information from people within the game who know what's going on. But no, it's a it's a tough it's a it's a tough scenario for everyone at this moment in time. I'm sure I'm sure Paul's struggling with the exact same scenarios. It's, it's because of the situation as well. So obviously, you probably don't know the story in your mains, but we've come obviously this, this journey we're on. But now we found ourselves in a cycle as well where it's a, an overhaul of players. So you, you get that, don't you? So we've we've run with the same kind of squad for the last wee while and obviously we're speaking we you know we're going into a different standard this will be a different standard of the league so you're trying to bring in the best players you can bring in but you're, you're speaking to guys and they're obviously keeping their options open as well yeah uh, they don't need to commit to anywhere they're looking to see what the best deal they can get uh, now that the league's kind of half announced that we can go back training uh, shortly and the likelihood is we could be playing football by the end of the year. Then I think players will start to start to try and get themselves clubs and start signing with teams as well. I think our registrations went through this week. And I think we we're the same. We've got 13 players, but we're still looking to to bring in. We're well, still looking to strengthen. I think every manager is the same, and they're always looking for three or four players more. Yeah, yeah. Thing as well. I don't know what's going on previously with Coburnie and obviously with other teams, but we are not a flush with money, and we've got to temper the realism with players what they're what they're asking for. Um, so what ideally what we would like to do is just say to them, look, come, you'll play. It's not going to cost you money. You might have enough money for a can of beer, 
couple of cans of beer and a curry on a Saturday night, that's fine. But don't come with, with huge expectations because it's, it's just not there anymore. That's just the, the reality of society just now. How is, because obviously historically, Kilburnie's been a, I mean, they're a Premier League side. Did they finish eighth in the league there last season? Oh, well, it might have changed with the with the uh, the way they've done it. Uh, but historically, they've been a, a huge club and have always paid quite well to players. Has there been a change of committee or is it just uh, just the circumstances that have changed in society no, that's caused... No, the committee's, the committee's still the same, but it's a, it's a conscious decision. Martin's been at Renfrew for what the past 11, 12 years, and they they're a they're a community club. They don't have a, a lot of money, and he's he's taking the same mindset with them as well. So he's wanting guys who want to come. The oldest player that we've signed is Andy Strachan, and he's 26. So we're looking at a, a younger model, guys who want to come and prove themselves. And do you know what? See if they move on up. Fantastic, absolutely brilliant, no problem. We'll look after you, we'll give you the best that we can. Um, but we're not going to bankrupt. We're not going to bankrupt the club. Um, we'll we'll do as best we can. And see, that's the that's the philosophy that Martin's came with. And he's a tremendous man manager. And he sets an example as well. He sent he sent a message to the group chat this morning. So we've gave them uh, two five Ks plus an interval session for this week. The first person. First person on the on the group chat this morning was a gaffer. He's went and done a 5k down at his work, and he's posting it on his well and saying, "Look, this is what we're this is what we're doing." So we're trying to build a, a collective ethos within it all, and not have a unrealistic expectation. Get players that want to come. Don't. I'd rather have players on the way up rather than players on the way down, and have that expectation that. You're not coming here for a second wage. <laughs> well, thankfully, we've got the same group chat. We've given the two 5Ks and the gaffer, and our team's the exact same. But luckily, I've got a co-manager, so Craig is always first on there with his uh, photograph of him sweating and uh, working really hard. And as you say, sets an example to the rest of the team. That he's, told, he's told me I'm not allowed to post my 5K time. <laughs> <laughs> What are you running a 5k in at the minute, Des? Do you want to know? Aye. I could probably bash it out in about, about just inside 16. That's poor. That's poor, Des. I know, I know. That's an example. My knees are done. My knees are done. <laughs> if, there's, if, there's anybody listening, if there's anybody listening who can run their 5k quicker than Des, we'd, we'd like to hear from you. Send us uh, send us a message at uh, downthedivisions at gmail.com. But... I don't think there'll be many doing it quicker than that, Des. I know you're, you're saying, uh, you're making it sound like that's not good. No, it's not, not compared to what I used to do. <laughs> what was your best time then? 13.48. Right, we'll come, back, we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. I was, I was going to say, um, you and Martin haven't, uh, haven't worked together before. How, how have you kind of, how is that partnership kind of working, if you like, and where do the responsibilities lie? You mentioned you've done scouting with St Mirren and Rangers. Are you playing a part in the recruitment as well? Are you laying out coaching philosophies? Are you putting training plans together right now for when football comes back? Uh, no, we are. Uh, we're, we're probably on the phone about three, four times a day, um, just sort of going ahead along way along way H as well. Um, I'm putting out the I'm putting out the training sessions along way H so we'll sort of. Uh, alternate that between us. Recruitment side, 
again, between us both, we're just using more contacts within the game um, at senior level, at junior level. Um, Martin, he at the end of the day, he's 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 the gaffer, he's the boss, so he's got the final he's got the final decision on it. Uh, but we we discuss it, we we talk about the individual players, what we're doing regarding the coaching side of it. That's probably going to be my sort of main remit. Um, I'll I'll deal with that. Uh, looking after the the fitness side of the boys and the and the well-being of them. Uh, me and H. Martin will oversee it. That's that's pretty much it. And the it's between the two of us that we've, we've come up with the idea that we want a younger profile of player. We want a strong, fit guys of ability. Every player that we've signed has got senior experience. We've not signed anybody who doesn't have who doesn't have senior experience, whether that be within the pro youth, within the reserves. But they're willing to come in. And how we sell it to the players is you can come to us and we're your platform. We're your platform to better yourself and we will shake your hand and we'll we'll go forward. H.A. obviously been at Pollock for, what, 11, 12 years. He's won everything in the game. Um, so, again, he adds a sort of football kudos to that side of it. So, we're, we're really just sort of trying to build a network of a team that we can we can be credible. It's going to be a, good, a different situation for you because you've obviously not been in the dugout yet, but from uh, being the man in the middle to being in the dugout, and I always say it's the, it's the best camaraderie ever in that dugout on a Saturday, and I've certainly got a, a really good backroom team, as I say, Craig the co-manager and Mark Bissett and Billy McGee, and, and once you're in there, it's actually some days you just want to be in there forever, it's it's brilliant, and oh, I think I that's a different side for, for you, Des, isn't it? Getting yeah, that. I can't wait, I really can't. I mean, see, to be honest, if I if the Cumberland job was advertised and I applied for it and I said, look, here's my, here's my, here's my CV, here's my coaching credentials, here's my, my degree, this is my job, this is, technically, yeah, I'd probably be a candidate. Then they go referee, nah, no chance, no chance. However, I, I'm looking to, I'm looking to turn that side of it. And from what the feedback we're getting for the guys, I think they are, I think they're accepting of it and, and understanding. Wait a minute, this guy's actually, he knows what he's talking about. Will you uh, will you plan to speak to your players about the right ways to deal with referees? Um, yes and no. Yes and no. Uh, football is an emotional game. It's emotive, so you've got to play. You you've got to use that. You've got to say to players, well, just just play. If maybe somebody steps out the line, I probably have a wee. <coughs> yep, yeah, but. No, that's that's not my job anymore. I'm not a referee anymore. I'm I'm a coach. I'm a manager. So I'm I'm there to do everything we can for Coburn to win. And I'm not saying break the law, but if you need to fracture one here or there, then I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, 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 I was asking advantage. <laughs> well, yeah, I, that, that's what I was kind of I was kind of meaning that you know what it's like to be the man in the middle. You know what it's like to be treated the right way, not to be treated the right way. You know, there's a psychology amongst it all, isn't there? And, and and not that you're breaking any rules, but just just how, how maybe not even so much as to how to behave, more how not to behave. Yeah. Listen, we'll, we'll, we'll always treat every referee that comes down. We'll treat them with respect and we'll, 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 we'll do everything we can to make them feel welcome. Um, I know the way that I like to be treated when I used to come. It's all very personal. 
Um, so I'm sure we'll do that. But once that whistle goes, I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> it's like this, isn't it, Des? I mean, you've heard of the poacher turned gamekeeper. He's the gamekeeper <laughs> turned poacher. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be kicking the water bottles. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I've got to. I've got to make sure I don't let the emotions get get the better of me. Um, but as I say, I can I can't speak highly enough about the club, the way they've been, the committee, everybody they've been, the supporters, the players. They've been they've been nothing but first class. Anything that we've asked for, anything that we've that we've requested, they've they've, they've came through with. So you can only treat people the way they treat you, and they've been fantastic. So really, I think we've got a. I think we'll get a good chance, good chance moving forward. And if we can stay in the league and solidify, yeah, then we'll build through there. I'm David Gormley, manager of Rossville Football Club, and you're listening to Down the Divisions. Kilwinning have signed midfielder Jordan Stewart from Dalry. Logs Thistle welcome back Graham Muir for his third spell at the club. Les Mahago have signed Dom Furbs from Bells Hill and Lewis Hill from Lanark. Barry Hill have landed Exton Barton, Clyde Bank and Vale of Leaven midfield at Ross Lydon. Arthurley have signed winger Ed McTurnan from Irvine Meadow. The club have also announced sitting midfielder Jamie Hay has joined from near neighbours Neoston. Ilford United have signed young midfielder Alex Bell. Alex joined from Girvin, where his highlight of last season was scoring a senior Scottish Cup hat-trick on his 21st birthday. Rossvale have been back in the transfer market this week. They've signed former Yoka Athletic defender Adam Baird. St. Rocks have brought midfielder Ross McKinnon to the club. Ross has previously played with Motherwell, Clyde, Elgin City and East Club Ride. Darvill have been making more big moves in the transfer market again this week as well. Not only have they landed left-back Jordan Allen from Stranraer, they've also added Ian McShane from Falkirk. Their manager was on episode 8, Paul. Uh, that's some bit of business again, eh? Oh, uh, do you know what? I feel for Mick Kennedy. Well, I don't feel for him because they've got the money. But uh, if you look at social media this week, the the pelters they've been taking, there's been people saying they've only got eight fans and they're paying all this money. There's actually people actively on there saying that uh, they hope they, you know, they hope they don't survive and stuff like that. I've never seen so much jealousy in the game in my life towards one team. And do you know what? I wish them all the best because. We had Mick on. He's a he's a really decent guy, and I just hope that it all it will work out for them. They've got good backers, and John Gall from Brown and the Bakers and stuff like that. And uh, I really, I actually feel sorry for them. I mean, there's a team like New Mains feeling sorry for Darvo. I'm sure yeah. it should be the other way about, but oh, the stick they've taken this week has been unbelievable. What do you make of it, Des? Listen, Des was giving them the stick. <laughs> I'm not on social media. I don't. I don't. I don't partake in it. Uh, listen, you can't. You can't deny their ambition. So you've got to. Got to encourage it. The money involved. I don't know the pounds, shillings, and pence, but they're obviously they're obviously been very well backed. Um, so good luck to them. Good luck to them. Which brings us on to Inside the Mind. Each week we'll put our guests on the spot to look deep into their psyche and discover some hidden stories. Right, Des? Oh. We've kind of changed the questions a little bit this week uh, so we can look back at your refereeing as well. Uh, first up, though, who was your idol as a boy? Oh, that was an easy one. Absolutely easy one. Uh, Diego Maradona. Oh, Oh, he's avoided the old firm, isn't he? He's went, he's went with Diego Maradona. So everyone for years has been saying, I wonder what team he supports. And he's went Maradona. Come on, Des. 
Diego Maradona. I thought he was going to say Hugh Dallas. Who's your favourite Scottish player? Always <laughs> <laughs> It's out. It's out. <laughs> Hey, uh, I done two Celtic testimonials. Come on. <laughs> but, uh, no, Maradona, Maradona, uh, absolute legend. Uh, the Spain '82 World Cup was when I, I sort of sort of got into it, um, and then I just sort of followed his career all the way through. Uh, I actually had a pair of the uh, Puma Maradona boots. And they had the wee blue bit at the back as well. They, that was, what, probably 19, 1990 or something like that. Uh, and then I went to I went to watch Scotland, uh, Argentina, when it was his first game as manager. Two, was, that, was that 2008, 2009? Don't ask Gareth, he's not very good at guessing the year. But uh, no, Maradona. I remember I remember actually um, watching the game when he, when he scored the goal against England. And I just thought that was... That was incredible, and ever since then I've read his book El Diego, um, watched the film obviously the last couple of years, and uh, he was. Uh, I still would take him over Messi and Ronaldo. Oh, I know, big shout. That's a huge shout. I would still take him. Okay, who's the player or manager that you always dreaded refereeing? Well, I've n- I've never dreaded anybody to be honest. I've always been confident enough in my own ability and my own, my own sanity. Uh, there's a couple of my, I won't, I won't, I won't name managers because that's probably not a, that's not professional. Uh, but there's one player who was an absolute pain in the backside, and I've spoken to him. And he's a, he's a friend. Uh, but we Scott McLaughlin. Oh my word, what a pain in the backside he was. Honestly, every game you'd turn up. And he'd be moaning in the tunnel. He would just absolutely kill you. Anytime you've done something, I ask you this, you're that, you're like, Scott, shut up, will you? Just give me, give me a, give me a bit of peace. And then he was at Ayr, Peterhead, Airdrie, oh, Clyde. I, I, honestly, he was probably the only player I enjoyed booting, just to say, shut up, will you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then it turned out that it was actually, it was one night, um, was that a night? Was that a Sunday? I don't know. But it turned around that I went out for a, I went out for a beer and he stayed around the corner from me and drank the same pub. <laughs> so, so you bumped into each other? We did, yeah. So he turned around that he lived around the corner from me um, in Paisley when I, had a, when I had a flat there at the time. Uh, but there was there was Scotty, there was Reese Arnie, Stuart Davidson, who's the manager at Largs, uh, and Big Michael Moore, who was at Stuart oh, so the four of us end up living just round the corner, and David McKenna as well, um, extra and breaking. So yeah, but oh, Scott was a. He would talk you through the game. He would tell you honestly. He was. I just turned around saying, "Go, do, do, do you just want the whistle? Just, <laughs> I'll, I'll, swap, I'll swap jerseys with you." Uh, good stuff. Uh, what's your favourite football top you've got from a game you've refereed in? Well, apart from a Paul McStay one, Paul. <laughs> 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 uh, I've actually got, I've actually got a belter. I've actually got a belter in which my wife uses or my son uses floating about the house. But I've got a Champions League winning goal scorers jersey. Really? Yeah. Right. Champions League race. So what game did you you done Bar- Oh, you done Barcelona Dundee United, didn't you? Yeah. Right Is it back. from that game? Is it from yeah. that game? Right back. Scored the winner against Arsenal. Giuliano Belletti. There you go. 
I've got Belletti's jersey upstairs, um, and it's see, I, I don't wear football tops or anything like that, but uh, I gave it to I gave it to my oldest son, and then one day my wife had seen her, she was hoovering, and she had the, she had the Barcelona strip on him. Like, it's a guy just scored the winning goal in the Champions League final. <laughs> um, my best my best memory for that game was. Um, I was fourth official to Craig Thompson. He's like, right, go and go and check the boots and stuff like that. So I'm like shaking, nervous. Chap to Basel in the dressing room. I just put my head in and I went, right guys, just here to check the boots. Have we all got up here? Thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't go in? Well, I did. I did. Uh, Ronaldinho, uh, he shouted for Ronaldinho. Shouted to the kit man and the kit man threw my box. And he opened that box and just picked the pair out and just slapped me in the chin and went, there you go, son, pair of boots. <laughs> so, so would that be the game? Or actually, maybe you touched on it earlier, but who's the best player you've refereed? Um, well, I never refereed that game. I was, I was fourth wish. I'd, I'd probably say on the park, if I... If we, go, if we do the Celtic Man United game, I mean that was there was Henrik Larson, there was Roy Keane and stuff like that. They were they were also tremendous. But I'd say in a competitive game, do you know the guy that always uh, always impressed me, Scott Agnew? Yeah. Yeah. And he yeah. spiked the minute, played for Hamilton, and came to the ranks at Rangers. Yeah, he was at he was at Stranraer, he was at uh, St Mirren. In fact, I think Aggies actually, <laughs> I think Aggies spoke with us. It was Strenoir breaking. It must have been first or second game of the season, and it was two one, I think at the time to breaking, and he had a free kick, and I've stupidly said to him, I mean, if you put that in the, if you put that in the, <laughs> in the bag, I said you'll be a star. I said, I'll tell you what, I said I'll give you my match fee if you do it, and what did he do? He just went and put it right in the top net. <laughs> but uh, no, I always thought, I always thought, uh, I always thought Scott Agnew was a. Oh, terrific player! Really, really good player. Technically gifted. But the important question is, did you pay him? Did you pay him your match fee? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was getting paid straight in my bank account. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what's the best practical joke you've seen played? Right, so referees are pretty boring to be honest. <laughs> there's not really that much. There's not really that much done, but. One that I thought of, I mean, it wasn't even a prank. It was me just being, me being a plank, probably. Uh, it was when I was running. Um, I was sponsored by Adidas at the time. And I was running the Crystal Palace Grand Prix. Now, Adidas used to always say, doesn't matter, whatever you do, you've got to wear our shoes. Because a lot of guys, <clears throat> CBC plays like blacking out like the stripes and the boots and stuff like that because of their sponsorship. Adidas always said, we don't make money off clothing, we make money off our shoes. So you've got to wear got to wear our kit, our footwear. So I'd been down myself and Ian Mackey, um, flew to Crystal Palace, doing the run in the doing the race on the Friday night. I turn up at the at the venue, been in the hotel, had lunch, blah blah blah, turn up to the venue, fifteen minutes before I'm about to run and go there, put my spikes on, do a couple of strides, did my spikes. I had left them in the hotel. I was like, oh man, you're kidding me. Thankfully, Ian was the same size as me. And he was sponsoring Mizuno at the time. And I'm trying to get white tape, trying to cover these, trying to cover these spikes. So not only did I run, I go and run the fastest time in Britain that year, been under 20. And I'm talking to the Adidas manager, Paul Magna, at the side of the track with the head of Adidas Europe, 
and I've got the spikes <laughs> behind my back <laughs> and I'm like, I'm trying to fling them to folk, try to throw them away and go like, oh, are you kidding me? I'm back to the hotel for dinner and they're like, oh, brilliant, brilliant, well done. Ian walks over and went and goes, did you tell anyone was there no spikes tonight? I was getting, oh, honestly, it was horrendous. Absolute horrendous. I'm like, what have I done? What have I done? So that was you probably... Managed get, you managed to get away with it then? I got away with it just, uh, just. But I got my bonus for it anyway, so I was quite happy. Hi, <laughs> Stephen Aitken, East Coast Bayern Manager. You're listening to Down the Divisions. Des, I mean, I mentioned at the start of the show refereeing or football management it wasn't really the original plan you had in mind was it you've just touched on the story there about about running but that that I guess was where your ambitions lay when you were in your kind of late teens early 20s yeah yeah I got I got there by accident I got there through football again it was another thing through football um my old PE teacher at school Danny Stevenson um he used to play for Rangers and play for St Mirren and we'd done, you know, when you're at school, you do bleep tests and all that kind of stuff. He turned and said to me, he's like, you're actually pretty good at this running. He's like, um, we'll, we'll speak to your mum and dad. And he sent me along to go back in Harriers and I'd done that. And it didn't really, didn't really take to me. I wasn't really that fussed with it. So I went back to, to playing football. Um, and then one of my neighbours, a, a boy in the school, his dad was a coach at Victoria Park. And he said, look, I'll come and pick you up and I'll take you to training. Um, just, it just went from there and it followed on and it turned out I, was, I wasn't too bad at it. Um, I, won the, I won the Scottish Indoor title the day after playing for uh, Paul United. The next day I went out and ran and won the 800 and 1500 metres for the Scottish title. And my mum and dad were like, well, maybe you are quite good at this. I mean, you're saying you're quite good. I mean, as I said at the start, the, the show you're British under 20 champion in 1995 over 1500 meters you're ranked third in europe ninth in the world sponsored by needless as you said earlier you traded paula radcliffe you know that's 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 more than just a little bit good yeah i I think at the time it's probably the exuberance of youth you don't actually realize how good you are i was i was very fortunate that i I traveled the world and somebody else paid for it um I was over in America for a lot of time. I was with Adidas for three years. Um, I was number one in Britain for 800, 1500, the mile only 3000 at 1995. Um, was over training in South Africa in 96. Um, I was in Albuquerque the year previously. Um, and it was guys like, say, Paula, Gary Locke, Rob Denmark. These guys, uh, I just got on the circuit. I just. Uh, I probably didn't realise actually how good I probably was um, and I just loved it really, really, really loved it um, it just became a way of life um, I'd done it professionally for for six years um, when I was I was never I was never home, I was always away I was training, I was doing other things I met numerous people from all around the world and really sort of broadened my horizons and I'm very grateful for the fact that if I wasn't, didn't have a talent for that at that young age, I probably wouldn't be the person I am just now. 
I mentioned at the beginning of the show that when I kind of looked into obviously doing a bit of research for the show, that's like a, a fascinating story for me. There's a real story in you from, you know, the referee and the football, the athletics. When you left school then, did you go straight in to full-time athletics? Because obviously you sound rather kind of laid back about it all. Because, you know, I think of athletes of getting up at six o'clock in the morning or five o'clock in the morning before they went to school and then doing stuff at night. Was it never like that for you? Was it just a case of falling into like after school and then going away and competing? Pretty much, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, I was very fortunate that you don't you don't earn the big money. No, not that it was big money. You don't earn the big money straight away. Um, but I was very fortunate. I'm I'm an only child, so mum and dad were were pretty comfortable, and they gave me the platform where I could could, could give it a go. My dad's like, look, if you want, I'll support you. So I done it for about six months, and then my my daily, but then I got a contract, um, say from Adidas for for coming out of that. So my day would consist of I would get up at just sort of like eight o'clock. I would do anywhere between five and seven miles in the morning, and then I would train again at six o'clock at night with my my coach, my training group. I was only one that was full time at the time, so I was probably running say eight o'clock in the morning, half eight, come home, breakfast. There'll be a bit of gym work, training again at six o'clock. I do that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday is my day off, so I only train once on a Saturday. And then I was out for a like a sixteen miler on on the Sunday. Um but that but that was I know it's not normal, so that was my normal. That was yeah. my normal. And did you then have to kind of move down south? Do we have the facilities in Scotland for for the young athletes? So at that time, did you have to kind of move away or to go to training camps? Not at that time. Not at that time we didn't have it. So I would pretty much be based up here sort of October to November. I would be based here. Then we would go go to altitudes for the month of December. So whether that be South Africa or Albuquerque or Boulder, and then we would come back January, and then I would go away again March, 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 April. I was pretty much away most of the year, um, and then come back and then I'm racing Europe over the over the summer. But as I said, I didn't I didn't know any different. I was just going along with it. Um, I was then involved with a company called Kim McDonald Sports Management, who were my agents, and they would get me into races in Europe off the back of Paula Radcliffe and Liz McGogan and stuff like that. So that was that was my life for for a number of years. And would it be when you go to these camps, would that be with British Athletics or would that be with Adidas? Would they would they take you away or who kind of supports that? Well I had I had a couple of independent um like grants that I was getting. Um so the like Scottish Sports Aid Foundation at the time would, would give me a grant and Adidas would put a wee bit to it as well. Um, the guy who ran it was a guy called George Gandhi, uh, who was at Loughborough University, who used to coach Seth Coe. So he would organise it. He was the head coach for UK Athletics at the time and he was involved with Adidas. So that was my link through there. And then he would invite me away with it. I was the youngest one who used to go. Um, and my own coach would give me a programme to follow but we could we could alternate it with what George was doing. So I was just getting to learn off these guys. These guys were absolutely incredible athletes, and it's probably like a I don't know, like an apprentice at a football club learning off the senior pros. 
that was pretty much what, what he was doing for me. He was giving me that experience to watch what these guys were doing and how they trained and how they looked after themselves. I mean, great experience for you in terms of going to Europe. But obviously, the pinnacle in that sport is Commonwealth Games and Olympics and things like that. How far away at that age were you, or was is that the kind of prime age to to be sort of targeting Commonwealth game places and stuff like I, that? I was in the I was in the pre-game squad. Um, I was in that and then unfortunately as a condition my knee called osteochondritis dissecans uh, whereby the, the blood flow doesn't get to doesn't get to the bone so I end up having to get uh, the bone taken out my knee and three pins put through it so that that pretty much called the end of it drastically affected your times and things like that uh, it wasn't so much the times; it was just the amount of volume that I could put through my put through my body. So whereby I could go out maybe a five mile run, ten mile run, whatever. My knee would just swell up to the extent now where I, I can't run at all anymore. If I go out for a run, then my knee swells up to about three times the size of it. Um, and given my given my job, I can't I can't afford to I can't afford to do it. So I took the when I retired, I took the decision to retire, not because I couldn't do it, but I didn't want people beating me. Who shouldn't be beating me? Yeah. So, I, I, it's probably a wee bit egotistical, um, where you can go, well, you just do it for the love of the game. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, I, that wasn't me. If I do something, I want to do it right. And I didn't want uh, a, wee, a wee road jogger beating me when I knew that he's only beat me because I can't do it anymore. So, I, when, literally, the day I stopped, I stopped. I didn't run a step. Obviously, athletics is being kind of tarred with a bad image over the years with, with the drug taking and stuff like that. Was that through the 90s kind of rife through the sport? And is that something that you'd ever come across within within the sport? i never seen it. I'd never seen it um, blatantly. We also heard dreamers and, you know, what, what, what people talk. But, but, but for me, no. I think, I think the big thing back in the day then was folk who were potentially dabbling in, in, in those substances where it wasn't a case if you if you are taking it it was a case of if are you not because everybody else was um but it was never it, i was never offered it um i was never probably wasn't good enough to be offered it in the first place uh, but no it was it, it was always one of those dirty secrets isn't it people talk behind talk behind closed doors it's like it's like junior football and any football this person's earning that amount of money that person's earning that amount of money this person's taking that drug and this person's taking that. So no, it was nothing that I was ever, ever uh, overtly, overtly faced with. So the Kilburnie players are not going to be breaking records this year, is that? Is that oh, what you're telling me? Hey, listen, hey. <laughs> Some of the some of the some of the times they're sending them that you're in a moped. <laughs> I tell you what, they're calling. They might they might be breaking records, but they'll be having some good uh, sponsorship deal with Adidas, surely, oh, wouldn't they? I know. Oh no, that's long gone. That's long. That's long gone. And I, I need to pay for my. Honestly, that was the worst thing that ever happened. See, when I was stopped being sponsored, I was with Adidas, then I was with Asics, then I was with Mizuno Latterly. I'm like, the first time I had to go and buy a pair of trainers, they nearly killed me. <laughs> What I mean, when you look back now, what would be what would be the biggest race? And by big, I don't necessarily mean your own performance, but the most kind of star-studded race that you took part in. When you yeah, look back, dead easy. I remember it, and it was probably the worst race I had in my life. Uh, it was the Brussels Grand Prix 
and Haile Gebri Selassie was in it. And I remember the it was the uh, it was the cross country and we took off and there's a it's in the have you been to the Heysel Stadium in Brussels? No. Right, so right behind the Heysel Stadium is Heysel Park and that's where the, the, the Belgian royal family live. So they hold a cross country in there every Christmas and it's sponsored by Stella. <laughs> and <laughs> it's right behind the stadium and there was uh, Paul Tenui, Haile Gebrselassie, Paul Evans, and there's a DJ playing music. And remember that whole that old uh, out here, boys? Boom, boom, boom. Everybody say wayho. Right? I'm running. I'm getting up this straight. I don't know that one, Des. You want to sing that again? Aye, aye, aye. I'm running. I'm running up the straight. And I'm going. I'm singing a song in my head, and I'm chasing Haile Gebrselassie, and I went. Mate, you're for entry. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so the so so the athletics has finished. Uh, we've talked about the refereeing and the coaching. You've also got a in between all of this. You've also got a day job. Tell, tell us, tell us what you're doing in, in your day job now. So, uh, I'm, a, I'm a school teacher. So, I was involved in mainstream education for 15 years at Renfrew High School. And the past 18 months, I've been working at the Kibble in Paisley. So we look after the country's most vulnerable young people um, and provide them with a, a, a safe care environment and also education. So I absolutely love it. love it. At Renfrew, I really enjoyed it. Um, I was there for it. was the school I went to and attended as a, as a pupil. Um, but I started working with what they call uh, an intensive care support um, with, with kids who are probably just like one or two steps from ending up at a, an establishment that we are. Um, so it was a conscious decision. Um, the position came up. I uh, applied for it and was thankful enough and fortunate enough to get it. Um, and I've never, I've never looked back. These kids in there, they're fabulous. They're absolute fabulous human beings. They're just kids who haven't had the opportunities that, that the three of us have had. Um, and you just want to show them that actually there's something different there for you. And if we can provide them a wee bit of education, a wee bit of support along the way, then then that's the that's that's main thing. You've got what I need to realise every day I go into school. See, sometimes the kids are getting up out of bed and going to school. That's an achievement. And don't don't have these massive expectations that that I may potentially have for my own children and 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 when that. Every kid's got a different need every day and every hour in there, and it, honestly, it's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Um, I'm actually, I'm actually giving up six days of my my summer holiday. I'm going to go in uh, for three days over two weeks, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, just to go in and help deliver a summer program for them because the kids need this continuity. They need that that support. They need that that help. And when the kids transition out, then they need they need a point of reference as well. And when they transition out, Des, is there kind of support for them once they once they leave like the kibble was there? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's there's all sorts of programmes we have. We've got outreach programmes with them. We've got supported accommodation. Uh, we'll get step down. So there's other places that we can we can help them. We can really have the kids up to. Don't get me wrong. I might be wrong. I think up to about 25. We can we can still support them. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. We can we can we can still help them. Um, and honestly, we were in we were in the other day there, and we done a we done a live TV show. So myself, one of the uh, educational support workers, and the head teacher, 
we dressed up as Tom, the head teacher, was Carol Lagerfeld. I had my hair spray painted green. I was Jean Paul Gaultier, and we had somebody Zandra Rose, and they done a they done a live fashion show. And that's it. You just showed these kids go, look, we'll take the mick out ourselves. We'll 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 buy back in it. But I would never seen a head teacher do something like that. I've never seen support workers. All these guys are just so so inclusive. It's brilliant. Honestly, it's really 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 heartwarming. Sounds good. There are a few ex-footballers in there as well, are there? Or there used to be. I remember, oh. uh, like I said, John Hillcote, and you could have a good five-a-side team in there. Oh, honestly, frightening. Frightening. Hilly's, Hilly's my gaffer. Hilly's, Hilly's how I get in there. Uh, who else have we got in there? Paul Lovering, ex-Hibs and Airdrie. Simon Mensing, still in out occasionally. Uh, Craig Beatty, who's just left recently. Peter McDonald, Pizzo, he's also went to went to Rangers in the SFA. Yeah, was, gosh, I think Jose Cadogo has been in at some point as well. So, no, right. it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a footballer's graveyard. Before we finish up, we'll clear up this uh, down the divisions decider. Paul, give us those clues again. Yeah, give you the clues right now. So, Charles Kennedy resigned as leader of the Liberal Democrats, admitting he had a drink problem. Steve McLaren agrees to become England manager, leaving his post at Middlesbrough. The British Grand Prix was won by reigning world champion Fernando Alonso, and Chelsea won their third Premier. Uh, sorry, won their second Premier League title, but it was actually the third English title. And the year did you say, Des? I said 2012, didn't I? You did, Gareth. I said 2010, but I think it might have even been earlier than that. Ah, because I just heard you type, and you were you were trying to look it up there. 2006. Oh, nightmare. That's me, me safe for another week. Yeah, I, I can tell you're feeling the pressure with the, the reaction there, Paul. Um, I am, but you know, I thought, you know, I'll give him a chance this week. I'll give him a chance. <laughs> Des, uh, thanks, for, thanks for joining us, and um, obviously, good luck for, for everything done at Kilburnie for, for you and Martin this season, and we'll, uh, we'll get you back on once, once football. Yes, underway at some some point in the future. <laughs> no, no problem. Listen, thank you ever so much for having me. Delighted. Don't forget, you can get in touch with the show with comments or suggestions for people to speak to. Our email address is downthedivisions at gmail.com. That's downthedivisions at gmail.com. Or you can get in touch with us via Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Do leave a comment, which helps others find us. And subscribe to get alerts when our latest episode is released. We'll speak to you again next week on Down the Divisions. Down the Divisions.